Hey, Risto here with George Mason University. Uh, today we're launching part of the audio from the second PEAT Collaborative. Uh, this collaborative is a group of PEAT educators, so teach educators from around the US and some international folks on there too. Um, we get together to talk about issues that are important to us. Um, if you haven't listened to the first one, uh, it's in the feed as episode 87. That first one, we had uh, over 150 uh, PEEP educators. This one, we topped off at about 131. So it's a great group. And although we've been organized by a group, we want to make sure that this always remains an open discussion. Uh, we just happen to be the ones to start it. Um, so that said, uh, we did have some panelists this time, including Jen Walton Fassett, Hal Lawson, Michael Hemphill, and Helena Bart. Um, this podcast actually picks up uh, once we get to the discussion about the pandemic and how that's going to affect Pete in general and in overall higher education. And you'll hear some great questions here that Hal posed, uh, like, what do we want to look like on the other side of this pandemic? Where do we want to be? And what I uh, took as the main takeaway uh, from this for me was what are we prepared to be held accountable for and to whom? So let's get to the conversation. Uh, if you want to engage, uh, just use the hashtag at home Pete at home P-E-T-E. We're going to transition um from thinking specifically about how this impacts our instruction to more broadly how this um, impacts the future of PEAT in higher education. And I think that actually these ideas really go hand in hand with each other. Um, and so I'm gonna pass it over to um, Kevin Richards who's going to um, then introduce um, his fellow panelists. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jamie. I'm just uh, sharing my screen with everybody. We have a couple of um, quick slides that uh, we use to organize our talking points today. Um, and so uh, as we were thinking about this, the broader purpose of, of this session and, and thinking about some of the comments that, that many folks left after our first uh, uh, virtual gathering, we realized that yes, there are some very important implications and challenges and opportunities for that matter related to, to current instruction and what that might look like moving into the fall if we stay online with the potential for some purposeful planning. At the same time, however, we also thought that this might be an, a, a, an interesting opportunity to step back and think about um, the broader field of uh, physical education, teacher education in higher education environments and what challenges and opportunities uh, we might be presented with moving forward. I think some of the challenges are clear. Um, you know, there are already uh, universities, uh, some small colleges have closed permanently because of COVID related issues. Uh, many universities have been notified that, that up to 20% of uh, department budgets might need to be returned. Um, I, I've heard cases of certain faculty members saying that they're gonna be asked to take on larger, heavier teaching loads moving into the fall. Um, and so those challenges are apparent and, and how that might shape uh, us into the future of the field, I, I think warrants uh, consideration. But it also provides um, some opportunities for us to, to play an intentional role in shaping where the future of the field moves. Uh, from here, um, uh, perhaps in a positive way, uh, coming, out of, uh, coming out of this very difficult challenge. Um, so with that, uh, I'm gonna uh, introduce uh, uh, Hal Lawson, um, who's gonna speak um, and kind of frame discussion with a couple of bullet points. 
And then Jen Walton Facet is the third panelist, uh, and she'll be coming in to, to kind of answer questions and engage in dialogue, and then has some summary comments at the end of the discussion that she'll be making. So with that, um, Hal, I can uh, go ahead and turn it over to you. Uh, thank you. Second slide, please. Hello, everyone. Uh, pleasure and an honor to be with you, and as always, inspiring uh, to um, uh, witness your dedication to your teaching and to students. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I've been involved with several higher education national webinars uh, over the last uh, several weeks and two questions emerged from those uh, webinars. One is normative and the other is descriptive and it seemed to me to be a good thing to raise uh, with the group um, so that uh, we can begin to think about how these things can be discussed among us and not have the kind of experience I had at the University of Washington in the 1970s be not only lonely but terrifying. Uh, the first question is um, a normative one. What do you want to look like on the other side of this? A university president raised that question. I think it's powerful. What do you want to look like on the other side of this? Think about your program as well as you. And then the other question is the descriptive one. Where do you think we're going on the other side of this? Where forces and factors outside our immediate control, perhaps things that we can influence uh, come to bear on how we think about ourselves, our work, and for that matter, the future of the field. And of course, there's the other part of it, which is uh, the context always matters. And in fact, I heard one uh, um, uh, high-level academic administrator say that scenario planning at this point in time is like trying to nail jello to a tree. Next slide, please. Death by PowerPoint means you don't read the slides. <clears throat> if you don't know the neoliberal thing, it's basically bringing private sector business uh, um, management techniques um, and models for organizations into public sector organizations. Think about the shifts that I'm sure some of you who have been in the field a little longer have already witnessed. We uh, sometimes talk about consumers and customers and less about students. We feel that we're in an audit culture uh, where the numbers matter and people are beginning to talk about program viability and survivability based on body counts. And above all, we're seeing new mandates for accountability, uh, both in terms of performance, cost benefit and cost efficiency analyses, but also um, out outcomes involving students. And so I'd ask the question um, for all of us at this point in time, do we really know the extent to which our programs have value-added impacts on students. Are they short-term? And are they also long-term? And, and uh, what do we know about that? Second bullet, those questions offer wonderful opportunities for research and teaching and partnerships. Kevin and I would tell you it's a great opportunity to do professional socialization research. Some of you who are interested in assessment, data-informed, data-driven decision-making in schools can find the same opportunities in higher education. And unless I miss my guess, there's going to be considerable federal and state money in support of simultaneous partnerships that involve teacher education in schools and actually create new models of schooling in the post-COVID-19 21st century environment. Um, we have uh, a new resource uh, in a book that Ann McPhail led uh, through Rutledge uh, on the collaborative design of uh, school programs and teacher education with chapters from experts from all over the world. 
Although everyone here, I'm sure, assumes that physical education and physical activity are more or less one and the same, or at least compatible, um, what uh, I'm seeing uh, nationally and internationally is a growing separation of those two ideas, uh, particularly in rural communities. Uh, the idea of physical activity leadership may well allow a shift that takes us back to the future. Um, some of us who are on this call, not very many, because you have to be probably 65 years or older, had undergraduate majors in health, physical education, and recreation. It's entirely possible we go back to the future in that regard. In any case, the, the agenda for the future would appear to be diversity, but with unity. And so part of the challenge for this group is to begin to figure out collective action where we don't go to war with one another. And we begin to look at the strengths and opportunities and the goodness of fit in particular contexts for different kinds of models, and then figure out what selective excellence and an outcomes oriented accountability uh, frame might look like. This morning I was on another national webinar and someone said uh, that it was a mental health tsunami uh, already underway. Um, and so begin to think about uh, the condition of kids and families and communities, particularly as unemployment nationally reaches about 30 million. And, uh, and what that means in terms of the stresses that are brought to bear on kids and families and communities. Uh, and and uh, while we don't want to be uh, and are not mental health specialists, the, the mere fact that we'll see more and more young people who come to us with uh, mental health challenges puts us and our workforce at risk. We need to know a little bit more about how to prepare teachers for secondary traumatic stress um, and indeed begin to think about what it means to do trauma-informed physical education pedagogy. Last but not least, um, you can expect uh, a return to some of the work that was uh, alive and well in the middle part of the previous century, where uh, statewide governing boards and others began to look at uh, program costs in relation to program location. Interestingly enough, the birth of kinesiology by whatever name was spawned in part by those by the California uh, Coordinating Board in the 1960s. Um, recommending that programs that were technical and professional should go to the state colleges, programs that were theoretical and scholarly would remain on the University of California campus. Uh, leaders at UCLA and uh, UC Berkeley proclaimed physical education as a discipline and made the effort to keep those programs on research-oriented campuses. While it won't be quite the same, my guess is, is that uh, teacher education programs in research universities are going to face some um, comparable kinds of challenges, but also ones that can be seen as opportunities uh, to provide part of the intellectual leadership for the field. So those five kinds of uh, frameworks, individually and together, might allow you um, individually and collectively to begin to think about what's next. Uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Hal, for, for framing some of that for us. So um, we wanted to, uh, to transition to, to some discussion at this point um, to see if anybody has uh, uh, anything that they'd like to add, any questions to advance the discussion, additional points to make, struggles that you're seeing or envisioning for the future. So if you could use that hand raise, a raise function just to indicate that, um, that, that you have a question uh, but, but, or that you have something to say, but we thought that it'd be helpful to provide a little bit of a launching point. So 
Um, we have kind of a two-pronged question on the screen right now. What are your needs, concerns, and predictions? Uh, and how can we, the PEAT community, mobilize for mutual assistance and collective action? Um, and so uh, if there's anybody that would like to jump in or, um, or Jen, if you've got any comments that you'd like to make. Um, I did see one question that came in the, the chat, not seeing any hands up uh, quite yet. Uh, Hal, it was directed to you. Um, and it says, uh, Hal, do you see um, comprehensive school physical activity programs as part of the neoliberal movement? So I, I don't know if you'd like to, to, to take that one or not. How about we let Jen do that? I guess it depends on how it's framed and the context. And I think that's what's really critical, Hal, of what you said is about how context matters. And all of this context matters for everything. So we've seen even in the group chat that North Carolina is going to be starting off face to face. And then there's going to be some of us that's going to be completely online. And so CSPAP may work in some places. And of course, if you get the organization and the community and everybody on board, that may be able to work. Um, but what I'm seeing right now, and if teachers continue doing what they're doing, it's not CSPAP but it's a focus on physical activity. And so I think that Hal's focus and discussion that we really need to have is, and this brings you know, back to uh, Mikhail, who has really focused on not losing the education in physical education, are we transitioning to physical activity um, as we talk about all this online and so much focus that continues to be on the physical. And how much are we gonna bring into other learning domains? I put this in the chat earlier of looking at the social domain, the affective domain, bringing in social justice and access and equity. Um, so for me, there's bigger picture than just looking at CSPAP. I think it's anything regarding neoliberalism right now that is infiltrating our PEAT programs, HEAT programs, and then of course, K through 12 schools. Excellent. Thank you, Jen, for adding some context to that. Um, Dylan Landy, do you wanna jump in? I think I can unmute myself, did I? I unmuted you, but yeah. oh, Thank you so much. Um, so I don't, I, I don't think uh, we could quite say uh, that CSPAP is away from neoliberalism because it's something that arose out of neoliberalism. It's a manifestation of neoliberalism. So of course there's neoliberal elements to it. Uh, what I would say is that in some places it's stronger than others depending on the political philosophical orientation of the place. Um, Jen, I'm really, uh, I like the quote, you know, that you're talking about education. When I did my thesis, I asked an, uh, a gay student, you know, what was PE like for you? And he, got, he said, I guess you could say it was all physical, no education. And that is sort of the summary of what a lot of the LGBTQ students feel about physical education. Because it's shifted so much into physical activity, move more, talk less, let's make fat kids skinny and skinny kids skinnier. Um, how can we shift away from that to, you know, open up? I have a question um, for Hal, because you have me interested uh, here with the neoliberalism comment. So are you saying that we have to work within the neoliberal system in order to further our agenda, but also find ways to resist it? Is that a rhetorical question? 
No, no, because the way that you were talking about outcomes-based and things like that, it reinforces the systems in many ways. But I guess my point is, how do you sort of resist that as as well as reproduce it? Because you you have experience doing that because you've been in all levels of higher ed. I, I don't know that the uh, that the idea is one of resisting it automatically because the uh, the, the question that might get raised uh, that often isn't raised is um, uh, for what are we prepared to be held accountable and to whom? For what are we prepared to be held accountable and to whom? That's voluntary accountability. And one could say that standards of professionalism um, are such that we ought to be asking that question each and every day. My take from the first half of this webinar is that all of you are thinking about that in terms of your teaching. And now it moves us to a very different sort of framework where we begin to look at, uh, at, at the programs that, that we have around us. So um, it, my experience with it, since you ask, is that it's like, um, uh, it's, it's kind of like a judo game um, where, where you, you, you take every advantage of the opportunity to protect what you hold to be near and dear, but you also know how to work the system in ways that show that you're complying. And, and uh, I, I don't want to frighten anybody, but you know, we're all uh, sort of uh, consenting adults here. This could be a very uncertain and even frightening time. Um, and we need to be very careful um, about what we can test and protest and how we go about it. Um, so a, another really good, uh, well, first of all, thank you, uh, Dylan, for the question and, and Hal for, uh, for a great response. Um, another really good question that just came through in the chat a few minutes ago that I wanted to highlight um, that, that I think connects to our broader topic here uh, is from Milma4. Uh, it says, do you predict that society in general will start valuing health and physical education a little or maybe a lot more or a lot after this pandemic is over? So, you know, d does the fact that, that we are currently, um, you know, across many states still under, under quarantine uh, and have been for some time and maybe for, for some time into the future, does that perhaps, uh, you know, influence the, the, the way that we as a society value physical activity because it might be something that's been taken away from us in the traditional form that we've come to know it. Um, so, I, so Jen, I don't, I don't know if maybe you want to, to attack that one or, or if anybody else has uh, any thoughts or responses, feel free to raise your hands. I might jump in for a second. So some of you were likely on the ISAP call last week around the um, PE with Joe discussion. And um, I think one thing that we need to think about as a field, because there's the, this very polarizing thing happening where some people are saying, you know, like no fitness, no physical activity, we're more than that. And then other folks who are really trying to look at the standard based piece. And I think no matter where we fall on the spectrum, we need to leverage this time as a field um, and use it as a time to advocate for what is quality physical education, which is a debate in our field anyway, of what that what that definition is. Um, but 
I would agree. And I mean, I think for all of us, and this was mentioned in the first call, you know, we see more people out and about being physically active. The trails are busier. Um, I've seen kids out in my neighborhood playing and riding their bikes that I didn't know lived in on my street um, until this started happening. And so um, I think we need to leverage this time, whatever that looks like. Um, and, um, and I think that that's, kind of a key point to to think about is not necessarily um, shooting down things that are happening that we might not agree with philosophically from the standpoint of, you know, this isn't physical education and saying it, no, it isn't, yet valuing physical activity is an important goal, I would say, of physical education. Um, and not just I, that, you know, our national standards and things would say that as well. Um, so I think that that's a piece that we need to think about. And Jen, you might jump in here um, on that. Yeah, um, it's interesting because a lot of the literature that Kim Oliver, myself, has done focusing on adolescent girls and the activist research um, has really, you know, for, for so much research was saying that girls were, did not want to be engaged in physical education and um, et cetera, but really that was not the case. And we're losing sight of that, yes, a lot more kids want to be physically active. One, that's one of the only options that they have right now. But when they are free in many, and even though we feel like we're not free right now, but they feel free and unjudged and comfortable and safe to be able to be active. And what we do a lot of times in PE is put them in boxes and put them in categories and don't allow them that exploration and expression of what they're interested in. And so right now we don't see people making sure they're standing behind the line serving a volleyball outside when we're going around looking in the different neighborhoods, but we're seeing different social interactions and of you know kids who are whatever they have access to, they're able to move. And so I would challenge that we need to be thinking again beyond just the physical part and skill development and think broader. And there are some of us that have been doing this for decades, for many years, and we're still just keep focusing on, on the skill and I'm not saying to just focus on physical activity and get rid of physical education. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we have to look at the embodiment of what's happening to kids right now and having that free freeness and that access that they may not have in a physical education setting. Great point. Um, Kevin, do you want to jump back in? Um, it's um, 15 hours. Sorry. Of course, as soon as I unmute my mic, my uh, computer tells me what time it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I would just say that uh, if there, there, there are so many really good points that are coming up um, in, in the chat. And if anybody wants to, to jump in and kind of make some of those uh, points or ask some of those questions over the over the, the video or audio, that would be great, too. But um, I, I do think like uh, like Jen is saying and, and like Jamie alluded to as well. And I, and I felt like this was kind of the the thrust behind the, the question that I read out uh, from Milma for um, is that this gives us an opportunity to kind of think a little bit differently about what we do, uh, how we serve our students, what our students uh, get and value out of physical education, um, and then also how uh, those of us in teacher education need to uh, or, or, or can 
you know, rethink what, what our students uh, in PEAT programs are going to need to be able to um, move forward into whatever physical education becomes post-COVID-19, whether that be, um, you know, more uh, flexibility in terms of, of their uh, ability to and uh, preparation for online systems or, or, or boundary, boundary, boundary uh, spanning systems. Um, but, but it's a time where we can do some agenda setting and think about what, what we want the future to be rather than wait for forces around us to shape that direction on our behalf. I think one thing too, so some of you probably saw in the last couple of days, the CDC released guidance for schools um, and they specifically talked about physical education, art and music as looking very different um, in the fall under their recommendations where at, whereby the physical education teacher will actually go to the classrooms um, and not have a shared space because the shared space um, can be a breeding ground for, um, you know, virus spread and things like that. So, um, you know, that brings into play thinking about our colleagues who do, um, you know, classroom-based movement um, research and, and, and expertise in that and things, because if we are then thinking about transitioning to prepare our students for what is reality is happening, um, you know, teaching in a classroom with physical education goals is very different than teaching in a gymnasium with physical education goals or in an um, outdoor space. So um, I think, keeping kind of our pulse on what schools are being guided to do will also impact our practice um, or need, should impact our practice at the higher education level. Does anyone have any questions or comments they want to jump in with at this time? Go ahead and raise your hand. I'd like to share a point to what Jen was saying about um, just sort of the different experiences that, that um, students are impacted by through their physical activity and physical education courses. So we have some unpublished data that we interviewed some students that participated in an online course. And I'd like to read you a couple of quotes very quickly here. So one of the students said, when we take gym, it's just 50 minutes. And most of the time we're not even doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're just talking to our friends and walking around. We don't really do anything. And honestly, we just played Frisbee and badminton for a whole semester. That was them talking about their face-to-face -face physical education course. These are the same students talking about their experience in their online course where they were able to participate freely. It's great. It's so nice. We go to dance practice and they're intense. The three of us are in a particular dance and it's pretty high energy. And we always joke, oh my God, how hard, high is your heart rate? We'll just stop and be like, oh my goodness, mine's at 174. Where's yours at? It's super fun. So those two quotes, and there, there are many like that, just help me and my team as researchers see the potential value that digital instruction could provide if it's done well and if it's done right. So part of this, and it might be unrelated to this conversation, but part of this is, is what role does digital instruction have within physical education and can it help us achieve some of these holistic objectives that face-to-face -face physical education it's been a struggle to get in those environments. So I just wanted to share that, something to think about. Um, yeah, so uh, Jamie, I think we're about ready to kind of transition. We were shooting for around uh, uh, 310 Central Time, what I'm seeing on my computer, we got 305. So I, I just wanted to see if, uh, if Jen had any uh, kind of final comments uh, before we transition to closing. I don't, I just think that there have been some really 
key questions um, or considerations that we need to think about with Pete. And this is not just because of this next year that will be a, you know, a band-aid approach that might have a domino effect, but there's questions based on model-based practice. There's questions from physical education versus physical activity. There's questions about um, the grade level objectives for shape. And that's a whole different conversation to focus on, on the, the standards and some are saying to be more flexible. And then we have that as an argument for what it is that we're doing. And so I think that what we need to really consider, and obviously again, our context matters, there's 126 people on here and where your district is and where you are will influence you, but, and so does our philosophy. Um, some of our philosophies have certainly come out for those of us that have discussed and commented of how we're going to recreate our PEAT programs that's going to best help our, our students. Um, because David Kirk and many others have said for a long time, we've had the similar goals um, for 40 years and PE still in many ways looks quite similar. It has a lot of the same outcomes. And so if anything for this pandemic, it's, it's forcing us to really think differently and to do differently. Um, regardless, um, for those of us in the US that have shape that's our guiding you know, post because I don't completely agree with all of those. So that's my own personal opinion and my own personal philosophy. Um, but there are very big questions that we need to ask ourselves and with our colleagues as what we want Pete to look like. Great point. Thanks, Jen. And thanks, um, Hal and Kevin and Jen for um, your comments there. Um, Risto, do you want to jump in and maybe kind of summarize um, and wrap us up here? Yeah, so um, thank you, Jamie. And when we initially planned this and I volunteered to be the closer, I didn't know that I'd be closing down such a such an intense conversation. Um, so I just posted on the chat uh, some links there. Uh, the summer reading uh, that Michael Hemphill talked about, um, a human kinetics book for, uh, for those who are thinking about activity classes. Again, these are not, um, like we're not trying to sell these, but these are just things that, um, you know, I think could help to look at a, uh, a different way. Um, we also have the content there um, that you can link to uh, our website that Kaysen uh, made and then the hashtag that we're trying to use. Um, and again, um, you know, if we're uh, looking at doing this and looking at the secondary meetup that we had, the primary meetup that we can make or even the, uh, um, you know, field invasion games or something like that. We all can do this. We can all spread out and just have these individual conversations in smaller groups. Um, the chat today was on fire. Like I'm just like going back and forth trying to keep up with it. And there's so much good content there. So we'll uh, paste that into a blog on the HPE website. So you can go in and kind of look at that. So in case you missed something uh, in there, and just going over really briefly uh, some of the content that we covered that I think is really good to, uh, to add on here. Um, you know, thinking about our students in the first part that Helena and Mike, Michael talked about is, you know, what structures do we actually have in place to support the students and um, figuring out if it's a combination of asynchronous or synchronous classes and remembering that although our students are thought to be in this tech savvy uh, era and they know how to do social media and things, they might still have, you know, simple skills like how to convert a Word document into a PDF that they might not know. So 
not making those assumptions, um, having a needs assessment sent out to your students, which could be if we do end up going uh, online in the fall at different universities, that might be something that you really start with to shape your class. Um, there's a lot of resources that came up in the chat, including uh, things like Atlas. Um, but one of the things with Atlas that I realized this semester that I personally did, I assigned those for our students, but I ran out of videos. So it's not enough in Atlas. It's only at the elementary level, you only see about, you know, five, six hours of content. So how are you, are you going to have those same students do the same thing in other classes? So we really do need to figure out that as a community. Uh, and then moving on to the second part of the conversation, I think Hal, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I, uh, you know, he, he brought up some really good questions. What, what do we want to look like on the other side of this? Where do we want to be? And you know, our, I think one of the things that he brought up in another comment was, you know, what are we prepared to be held accountable and to whom? And I think that's a huge, huge question that we need to, um, we need to figure out as a community. And um, Hal did post his email address on there for early career scholars and people to um, reach out to, which I think is incredibly gracious to, uh, to the community to give the time. I think there are a lot of issues that we will deal with in the next um, you know, few months coming up with potential pay cuts, potential increases to course loads in certain universities, um, having to pick up extra classes and not getting accounted, you know, getting paid for those extra classes that as a junior faculty member, you can't really speak up. You're just going to go in and do it. So um, I think those are really big uh, considerations to, to think about. And, um, you know, I, I hope that, you know, we will continue being this type of community that gets together and works this out with, uh, with each other. Um, you know, my over under on this was 123 people and uh, we hit 131 on our second meeting. So we have some momentum going. And um, if you are interested in a secondary or a primary meetup, shoot me an email. I put my email in the chat there um, and um, we can have these smaller group meetings as well and then come together once a month or something to have these bigger, bigger meetings and listen to, you know, a, a good mix and a good variety of uh, people in the peat field. So thanks, Jamie. Yeah, thanks, Risto. Um, yeah, again, I think the number of people um, on and, and contributing, the, the discussion was fire, like so amazing. And to think of us like coming together and yes, we came together initially in a sense of crisis, but um, I think that, you know, this, this idea of collaboration and I, you know, I know I saw people in Ireland and other countries um, also involved um, on the call. And so that was great um, to see. So um, on behalf of myself and Kevin and Risto and Jen uh, Krauss and Emily Jones and Chad Killian and Kaysen O'Neill, um, we just want to thank you all for coming. And again, this is not an exclusive space. And so we came together as a group and said, let's find a way for us to connect with other folks who are having the same challenges as we are. Um, and it's been really awesome to um, see what this community can do, um, even with differing philosophical perspectives and things like that, um, to come together um, under a common um, 
a common goal. So again, thanks to all our panelists today and to everyone who participated. Um, and we are planning um, to, uh, right now to look at having these at least once a month um, and then maybe those smaller um, ones in between um, as Risto said. So um, let's just keep up the momentum and hopefully you're all wrapping up your semester and um, we look forward to seeing you all again soon. So thanks for your participation and have a great rest of your day. Bye everybody.